0: hey what's up everybody and welcome back to that triathlon show the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com i'm your host michael and this episode is q and a number 113 before we get into today's questions big thanks to our sponsors precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com Precision hydration create electrolyte supplements that you can match to your individual sweat sodium concentration levels. So that if you are somebody that loses a lot of sodium in your sweat, then you can get a highly concentrated supplement and vice versa if you lose a medium or low amount of sodium. And it's really easy to test this. Just go to the PH website and take their free sweat test. It's under the tab free hydration plan. And you will complete a number of questions, 10 of them. They're really easy to answer and they will give you a good ballpark estimate that has been validated against real world test data to make sure that it is as accurate as possible as a starting point for your hydration planning. Also, if you are transitioning to indoor training uh, during this time of year, it is worth pointing out that when you're on the bike or on the treadmill, uh, you are probably sweating a lot. In uh, most situations, that's what happens when you, when you go indoors because of less, less ventilation around you, uh, less, less airflow. So you need to make sure that you stay on top of hydration, including electrolyte replenishment to be sure that you can retain your performance throughout your sessions, especially as they get longer and more intense. You can get 15% off your order with the promo code DATTREFLONSHOW15 on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roca that you can find on roca.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. And the eyewear category of Roka's products. both their uh, sport sunglasses but also their prescription glasses and sunglasses have uh, all sorts of really, really cool uh, features that you won't really find on many other uh, eyewear options that you can find. They are made by athletes for athletes. So they're super lightweight. They are impossible to shake off your face. And of course, they have really, really great optics. So you can check that out and you can get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash tts and also be aware that Roca is now running a holiday sale so some products are on sale with even greater discounts up to 50% so check that out and uh, you cannot combine the roca.com forward slash tts promo code with any sale offers that might be going on but if you buy something that's on sale for a greater discount then be sure to mention to Roka that you, you came from Scientific Triathlon and that triathlon show, because that really helps the show out a lot. All right, let's get into the questions for today, which are a continuation of last week's Q&A. So the questions are still from Sondre in Norway. Uh, and uh, this question, which is the third part of his three-part question, and this third part actually has many parts in itself, is the theory and application of short and long threshold intervals and Sonder gives an example on the run two sets of 10 times 400 meters with 30 second recoveries between each 400 meter repetition and that would be an example of short threshold intervals and then the long interval example is four times two kilometers with 60 second recoveries between intervals Uh, Sonder writes i assume the pace would be different for example when should one be chosen or the other and then the same follow-up questions for the previous question on moderate intensity training and uh, yeah I will list out those follow-up questions here as we go along if you don't remember them from last week that's totally fine you will be, uh, be able to catch up to speed so to say but let's start first by defining threshold training or threshold intensity uh, just like last week this is a bit of a rabbit hole actually a big big rabbit hole Uh, so there is some things that i mentioned in last week's episode that i won't go into in detail here including the differences between training zones and domains Uh, but uh, i will cover the actual terms that are used around threshold describing a threshold phenomenon in detail here so you won't really yeah there's you won't miss out on anything by just listening to this one so let's list some of the different threshold uh, ways of defining a threshold of uh, one uh, in one capacity or another. Some very common ones that you have probably heard about and uh, that we have talked about a lot on the show is LT2 or the lactate threshold, second lactate threshold, VT2 or the second ventilatory threshold, MLSS or maximum lactate steady state. FTP or functional threshold power. Uh, We could also use functional threshold pace for running and critical power, CP or critical speed, CS. So uh, those are just uh, some examples. And of course, we also talk about anaerobic threshold and lactate threshold. They usually refer to this this same phenomenon. And uh, really what they are referring to, what all of them are referring to is the transition area below which steady state exercise is possible and above which it is not and that, that is what all of them in one way or another are trying to get to so let's go through each one of them and where they come from lt2 or the second lactate threshold sometimes just called the lactate threshold at least in popular media and among people but in the scientific literature you need to be really careful because lactate threshold might mean the first lactate threshold and not the second so yeah be aware of that but lt2 is the second inflection point in the lactate curve from a graded exercise test an an incremental test when you do lactate sampling at the end of each stage of power so you might have seven stages of power or increasing power or increasing pace It depends on your fitness of course but let's say you start running on a treadmill at uh, 10 kilometers per hour and you might increase by one kilometer per hour uh, for and run at each stage for five minutes so five minutes at 10 five minutes at 11 five minutes at 12 and so on and you at the end of each stage you take a lactate sample or the uh, test provider takes a lactate sample and you get a curve and then you can see two inflection points or you can calculate them and the second one is the LT2. VT2, or the second ventilatory threshold, is similar in that you are also doing a graded exercise test. But in this case, you're doing it with the gas exchange measurements, uh, VO2, VCO2. So based on the ventilatory ventilation data, you can then see inflection points in the actual ventilation. And uh, that is based on that that you can calculate where the ventilatory thresholds are and usually they correlate really really well vt1 correlates really well with lt1 and vt2 correlates really well with lt2 usually i would say that probably the ventilatory thresholds are slightly more exact but uh, but again both are good estimates uh, if the test is done correctly using a good testing protocol and good uh, a good calculation protocol or analysis protocol for actually assessing where the inflection points happen. Then we have MLSS, maximum lactate steady state. This is defined as the highest workload uh, that can be maintained without continuing to accumulate lactate over time. So this is a test that takes some time. You would have to do several time trials well not time trials but several work bouts at a constant power or a constant pace and these work bouts need to be 30 minutes uh, usually so you would have to do them on separate days and you would basically aim to find at which pace or at which power do you get an increase in blood lactate of no more than one millimole between minutes 10 and minutes 30 so if you increase from 2 to 2.9 that would be okay, so that would be considered uh, in the steady state domain, in the heavy exercise domain, but if you increase from 2 to 3.1 between minute 10 and minute 30 in blood lactate, then that would no longer be considered steady state, so that would be above your maximum lactate steady state, and then you would come back the next day and maybe lower your power output by 15 watts, and then you would find that, okay, at that power your uh, your lactate only increased by well less than one millimole so so then you would find that okay my, my threshold is or my maximum lactate steady state is at this power output some studies suggest that mlss is a lower intensity than vt2 and lt2 and critical power and uh, yeah, as far as i can tell that is that is correct but we won't go into detail on that here and now Well that leads us into critical power and uh, I would definitely recommend that you go back and uh, listen to a recent interview that I did with uh, Dr. Mark Burnley uh, where we talk about critical power among other things and uh, uh, critical power or CP can be tested either as uh, a single time trial so that would be a three minute time trial where you start absolutely all out you're sprinting off the line and then of course you are gradually going to lose pace lose power because you can't hold a sprint for a long time you can only hold it for a few seconds and you keep going as hard as you can for three minutes and basically where your power starts to taper off at the end of the three minutes where it ends up being that is your critical power Uh, that is in simple terms how the three minute test which is quite brutal but it's a single test so that's good and it's short and fast Uh, so so that's good that's one way to determine it but you could also do several time trials of different durations. So for example, do a time trial of three minutes, one of six minutes, one of 12 minutes, and one of 20 minutes. And uh, and then you could calculate your critical power because critical power is essentially the point where theoretically you can exercise at a steady state. And when you have these different time trials, you can sort of plot the, the asymptote of power or pace versus duration. And you can calculate also in in different ways where that asymptote will happen, where you're, you can go at the same power for, in theory, indefinitely. Well, that's not exactly the case, but but you can exercise there at a steady state. So, so that's the other way to calculate critical power. Several time trials of different durations. Professor Andy Jones and Mark Burnley, who I recently interviewed, interviewed as I said, uh, in 2019, published a big review where they argue that critical power is a better marker for the transition between exercise domain than MLSS. And uh, in that review, they argue that critical power really is the boundary below which a physiological homeostasis can be maintained, but above which it cannot. And I think it's really important to understand here the difference between maintaining a physiological homeostasis and going at a certain power forever because that's definitely not the same thing so so keep those two different uh, different definitions in mind and f- being at the physiological homeostasis that is the mark of when you are below critical power or critical pace not that it's a pace that you can hold for like a super long time because you might only be able to hold critical power for 30 or 40 minutes depending on how well trained you are then ftp functional threshold power which we talk about a lot uh, it's a very popular term and uh, it's basically a term used when you have some sort of field testing done to uh, to assess your threshold or your threshold is assessed based on your collected training and racing data so it's an estimate based on that and uh, yeah the estimate is trying to get at the same thing really what is the highest power that you can maintain in in a steady state essentially And this is a good concept, but uh, in my opinion, the thing that is is unfortunate is that it suffers from a lot of poor testing protocols developed to assess it. And you've probably heard me saying that before and uh, my guests saying that it is quite common that athletes overestimate their FTP. You almost never see a person underestimate their FTP. And this has negative implications on training, especially for those athletes that rely heavily on FTP and even to the extent that they might set all of their workouts target at their endurance targets their vo2 max targets all all targets are based on ftp if the ftp then is not correct then that that is a significant issue with training so and just one more thing on all of these different definitions is that they exist for both pace and for power so as i mentioned already we have critical power and critical pace or critical speed we have functional threshold power but we could also talk about functional threshold speed Uh, so yeah you you can it's not just about bike power and when i talk about threshold i don't really refer to any specific one of these but simply to the same thing that they're all trying to get to in one way or, or another which is the the highest possible point at which you can exercise in a steady state and as soon as you go above that point or that area then it's no longer possible to to maintain a steady state and uh, really as long as you find that intensity which method you use to get it doesn't really matter at all and experienced athletes can do this uh, pretty well or really well just based on feel in my opinion at least so uh, so you might not even need to test it in, in in a certain sense but uh, anyway, let's get to uh, to the first question, which is when should you choose one or the other? And the key question here is, do you really want to move the needle with the workout or do you want to maybe move the needle a little bit or do you want to just maintain? If you really want to move the needle, then in my opinion, you should generally go for longer threshold intervals versus shorter threshold intervals. What does longer mean? Well, that's a tricky question. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I would suggest at least five minutes but uh, preferably even longer. The swim is an exception due to the difficulty for most athletes to maintain good form for that amount of time. So depending on the athlete you might always prefer shorter intervals like 100s, 150s or even when doing longer intervals you might be doing something that is not super long like you might be doing 200s and you might think of them as long threshold intervals even though they're really not If the session is secondary, so let's say in a scenario where you have already done one workout that same week with longer threshold intervals, then you could consider doing your second threshold workout with shorter intervals, to make it slightly less stressful but still get a bit of an extra boost within that weekly dose of threshold training. So this is simply a question of finding the right balance between how much you can push in any given time period versus how much you need to push to get the desired adaptations. Also when you decide between longer and shorter you should think about the principles of progressive overload and the principle of specificity. Before I get into that by the way of course I didn't mention that but if you are just looking to maintain some threshold qualities then you can go for short intervals because they are generally less costly in terms of recovery and so on but uh, you can easily maintain something that you've previously already gained through that kind of workout but when it comes to back to the progressive overload and specificity if we start with progressive overload early on in the season when you're getting back into training after your break you could start to introduce threshold work by doing short intervals at first and then gradually build up this is the progressive overload the duration of these intervals until you get to a point where you are doing long threshold intervals and uh, And then definitely when you are getting closer to the races, especially if the races are at an intensity close to threshold, then you do want to do them as quite long intervals. In terms of specificity, if you are training for an Olympic distance race, for example, then you might be riding and running right around threshold. And you will do that continuously for maybe an hour or so on the bike, maybe more. And you might do 40 to 45 minutes on the run. And that means that in both of those cases, you'll probably be performing uh, just a little bit below your threshold for the bike and for a run, maybe right at your threshold or a little bit below. It depends on, on how fast you are, of course. But, but I think that for an athlete that is focusing on Olympic distance and they're, say, biking in one hour and they're running in 40 to 45 minutes this is they need to train threshold training with longer intervals because this is going to be super specific for the type of racing they are going to be doing so for this athlete longer threshold intervals would be one if not the most important type of workout that they can do because they are so race specific for many amateur athletes a sprint distance race will be done right around threshold so the same would apply there and this all depends on your speed if you are A top ITU athlete, of course, you'll be doing this significantly faster than your threshold or higher power and pace than your threshold, but that's not most of us. So so for many, a sprint distance race will realistically be at threshold. And for very advanced athlete, at least the run in a 7.3 race, definitely the swim as well, by the way, will be done ride at or or very close to threshold at least so again for these athletes the principle of specificity would apply for the swim and the run at least in this situation as well on the other hand if you're training for an ironman or for that matter for a pure 5k run or a 10 mile time trial on the bike then threshold training is not really specific for a race because your race intensity is quite different So in that case, there may be periods of the year where threshold development or maintenance is part of your objectives, but it is not as important as the specific work you're doing. So for this athlete, you could choose to do the shorter type of threshold because again, this would be a secondary type of workout, not quite as important as your key workouts, the race-specific ones that would be your primary goals. So the key target here would be to find the right balance again, between load and response achieving your objectives and if it's more about a minor boost in threshold or maintenance type of work then those shorter threshold intervals would work well and they would give you an easier time to recover in time for your key workouts whether they be a key long ironman bike pace ride or a 5k run on the track or 5k pace run on the track and so on so so that's a bit of the around how How these principles, what you're training for, apply uh, in terms of specificity, and you also ask if pacing should be different. So if we are really discussing threshold intervals, then we need to realize that our threshold is not a discrete point, not a specific pace or power, but it's actually a range. But it's not a super broad range. So we should allow ourselves to do our intervals anywhere within this range, and we can be very confident that we get a very similar or identical effect anywhere within this range. So to give you an example, if you have a nominal threshold pace on the run of 4 minutes per kilometer, or 6 minutes 26 seconds per mile, then you could probably run anywhere between 4 minutes 10 seconds per kilometer and 3 minutes 55 seconds per kilometer, or which would be 642 to 618 in mile pace and you get similar effects so that's a 15 second per kilometer range or a 24 second per mile range and uh, yeah so so that's sort of like the magnitude here of the range in practice what will happen is that in workouts with shorter intervals you will probably push towards the higher end of that range and in workouts with longer intervals you might be at the lower end of that range or in the mid end of the range just to be able to complete the all the intervals without blowing up so in a sense the workout prescription takes care of pacing for you because you will just be focused on going hard but just hard enough that you won't be blowing up before the end of the workout i think that uh, in terms of how large that range is i would say that five percent uh from your threshold pace or threshold power that that would be like the size of the range or the width of the range so on the bike if your threshold is 200 watts then five percent of that would be 10 watts and that could be your range so you might target between 195 and 205 watts for threshold work if it's 300 watts then your range would be 15 watts And then you could target a range of 290 to 305 as the range. So rather err a bit on the side of lower rather than higher, for sure. And in the running example I just gave, I used that 15 seconds per kilometer range. And I hadn't done any math uh, before just doing that. It was quite intuitive when I said 410 to 355. Uh, But actually I did the math and it ends up being 5.8% of that nominal threshold pace of four minutes per kilometer. So it also falls in the same ballpark. It's important to note that if you go above that range, then it's not really threshold work anymore. So I do think that while these workouts can and should be hard, and in some cases very hard, there should still be an element of control in them. If you do 400s at 350 pace and your nominal threshold is four minutes per kilometer, I don't really think you're doing threshold work anymore. That's too big of a difference. And that's not to say that it's not a good workout. It could be a great workout, but it's not threshold work anymore. You're definitely not in the steady state domain. So let's uh, go to the next question, which is what are the physiological benefits of threshold intensity? And I'll try to roll through these next questions a little bit quicker because we've already been here for quite some time. But we talked about the one of the main ones already and uh, that is specificity. So I won't, I won't linger on this point, but if you're racing sprint distance triathlon, Olympic distance triathlon, 10K running, half marathon running if you're pretty fast, 40K TTs on the bike, etc obviously it's very specific and that's a good thing. So training for these distances, threshold training is important. The other one is something we talked about last week and uh, when we talked about moderate intensity training. It still applies here because threshold is also moderate intensity training even though it's the very high end of moderate intensity training. But the benefit here is that threshold training and moderate intensity training makes 2A fast twitch fibers better at producing energy aerobically and get more resistant to fatigue what they will mean in practice is that you will be able to swim bike or run at a higher percentage of vo2 max for longer durations for longer duration and uh, this is called fractional utilization and that is one of the key factors of endurance performance so essentially you could you could talk about moving your threshold closer to your ceiling so so those are the two main benefits but uh, i should also mention a disadvantage or two of threshold training i think the first one is that it is very costly in terms of recovery needs so both in terms of muscle damage especially when we're running at threshold pace especially if you're a very fast runner and secondly in terms of glycogen depletion and uh, just your metabolism these are very energy intense uh, workouts And you will be using a lot of energy, a lot of carbohydrate for running at that pace or cycling at that pace for that matter. So recovery is essential. You can't underestimate what they will take out of you. The second disadvantage is that because a threshold is the transition area between the steady state or a steady state domain, the heavy exercise domain, and a non-steady state exercise domain, which is the severe domain, it is it could be. It is common, I would say, to tip over into the wrong domain and do something very different from what you intended. Instead of steady state exercise, you're doing non steady state exercise. Again, athletes tend to overestimate their threshold when left to their own devices. So this is a place where having a good coach can have a huge positive impact. But also for self-coached athletes, I think one thing that you can do to uh, to mitigate against this is to do some sort of metabolic testing under the guidance of an experienced professional this can be quite eye-opening and pay big dividends in the effectiveness of upcoming training number four question number four here is who should be doing threshold work what types of athletes and the answer here is quite similar to last week in that if you're targeting an event close to the threshold intensity then you should definitely be doing a fair amount of it in my opinion so that means almost anybody focusing on Olympic and sprint distance triathlon should be doing a fair amount of it. Advanced athletes focusing on half distance triathlon should be focusing on threshold training at least when it comes to running and swimming because they will be close, very close to threshold. In terms of pure running, the 10k and half marathon distances in particular lend themselves to a fair amount of specific work uh, at threshold because those race distances fall right around threshold depending on your speed of course if you're a fast runner the half marathon might be right at your threshold if you're very fast and if you're a slower runner 10k might be right at your threshold like i said last week if you are somebody racing really short events for example like you are a rower racing in events lasting six minutes or you're a track cyclist then threshold training might have much less importance But I think for any triathlete, even if you're focusing on Ironman, which is far from threshold, threshold training does have benefits. The difference lies in how much of it that you do and when you do it. So an Ironman athlete might be doing their threshold training further out from the race because it's not specific, but they will still get the same physiological benefits that we already discussed, and that will help them race better or the Ironman distance again because of some of those benefits that they have gained the fast twitch fibers uh, being more resistant to fatigue and those fast twitch fibers will be called upon at some point, point in the ironman race without a doubt question number five is when during the season should threshold intensity be done and how frequently there are a lot of different ways to go about this but if we start with the easy part of the answer for somebody targeting a race close to threshold, again, I feel like I'm repeating myself a bit here, but uh, specificity. If you are training for a race where threshold intensity is the specific race pace or close to it, then in the last four to six weeks before that race, I would say one threshold workout per discipline per week would be ideal if this is triathlon we're talking about. For a runner or cyclist, uh, pure runner or cyclist, not a athlete, they might be doing one to two threshold workouts per week in, in that same period before their specific race. But uh, other athletes training for races at different parts of the intensity spectrum, well, as I talked about last week, for athletes that are newer to the sport or simply farther away from their athletic potential, still very much developing and potentially seeing some what you might call beginner gains, For them, I think you can mix and vary your moderate and high-intensity workouts quite a bit. Uh, To give you an example, let's talk about a runner who runs five times per week. Uh, They might be doing three easy runs per week, one moderate-intensity workout, and one high-intensity workout. And the moderate-intensity workout in this case could be a threshold run because it still belongs to the same category so so this could be like a basic template for a long part of their program you do want to have some form of progression there yes but you don't need to complicate things that much you could follow that template by and large for most of your non-specific preparation or your base training if you want to call it that so depending on your goal race that could be until you're for example eight weeks out from that race You, you could be following such a strategy and do essentially a threshold run or a tempo run at slightly slower but a slower pace but longer duration once per week that would be an example but as talked about last week for advanced athletes i do like a block periodization approach and uh, it is very rare that i would focus specifically on threshold training through a training block but rather threshold training would be part of what i would call a moderate intensity block or a strength endurance block so in that context, let's take an example of an athlete that for five weeks will be focusing on moderate intensity training mostly. They might be doing, for argument's sake, 15 hard workouts within that block. And so three, three hard workouts per week. Some of them will be more like tempo training or sweet spot training. So moderate intensity, but lower intensity than threshold, as we discussed last week. But some of these workouts will be right around threshold, as we have discussed this week and uh, how many well that would depend on the athlete and their physiological profile the demands of their goal race and their own objectives and so on but between 20 to 40 percent of those hard workouts in the block could be threshold workouts so in this case in this example if we have 15 hard workouts over five weeks three to six of them would be threshold workouts Question number six is when in relation to other high intensity sessions should threshold intensity work be done? The day before, the day after, same day, and so on. So if I include high intensity training and threshold training in the same training block, I would always want the high intensity training, uh, so the training that is above threshold, faster than threshold, higher power than threshold. That should be done when you're the freshest, just as we talked about last week. But in in contrast to last week when we talked about moderate-intensity training, where I said that sometimes it would be okay to do moderate-intensity training the day after a high-intensity session, I would argue that when it comes to threshold training, you really do want one easy day, even two, between high-intensity training and threshold training. Definitely, if you're a runner, I would say that you should absolutely have two easy days between a high-intensity run and a threshold run. If you're a cyclist, you could get away with one. Same thing if you're a swimmer. If you're a triathlete, all, all bets are off. No, not really, no, but for triathletes, it's obviously uh, much more difficult. So, this is where I see an exception in that I think that you could potentially be doing a threshold swim the day after a high intensity bike or run workout. Muscularly, it will be okay because you will use different muscle groups primarily. To what you did the day before but a high intensity workout will always result in some central fatigue so that's why in an ideal world you would have an easy day despite the threshold workout being a swim so hard workout intense workout high intensity workout i mean easy day threshold workout would be ideal and i would also not place any threshold workouts the day before something that is a key session in this example a high intensity workout but also i wouldn't place it before a key ironman specific workout or anything like that because you will be fatigued from it and it might take 48 hours to recover properly from the threshold workout so so if a high intensity workout on the bike for example is a key workout for you then don't place any threshold work not a swim not a run the day before that workout because that fatigue could impact your key session question number seven is what are common mistakes of planning and executing threshold sessions and similar to last week, I would say that going too hard and not going long enough are the main mistakes that I see. Going too hard is often associated with having an inflated estimation of your threshold, often due to the testing methodologies that I already talked about, uh, or the, yeah, uh, using the incorrect methodologies, not that all of those <laughs> that I mentioned are, are incorrect. And not going long enough is uh, actually slightly smaller of a problem when it comes to pure threshold work compared to last week when I discussed moderate intensity work but I still think it happens quite a bit. I mentioned last week the classic 20 minute quote-unquote tempo run which actually is a run right at threshold intensity for most runners and this is an example where I would not like to prescribe that workout. I would like to see something like four times eight minutes at threshold or three times 10 minutes at threshold or so. Because if you really want to move the the needle, I would suggest that you want at least 30 minutes of threshold work, at least for intermediate to advanced athletes. Ideally, 40 minutes, especially for advanced athletes. On the run, uh, there is a caveat. 40 minutes of threshold is a lot of impact, and you have to balance what you want to get out of the session with minimizing injury risk. You could do something like running on the treadmill with a gradient that will definitely make it easier to collect a larger volume so that would be a smart thing to do on the swim you also have to make sure that you can get to the end of the set with some semblance of technique still in you so so on the swim for most athletes in my experience i would say that 30 minutes tends to be a good amount already because form really starts to break down at at that point but this depends on the background if it's something with a swim somebody with a swimming background then for sure going closer to 40 minutes would be great on the bike i would also suggest that 40 minutes is ideal so you could do workout like five times eight minutes and yeah that would be perfect and question number eight the final sub question here is examples of good threshold intensity workouts for swimming biking and running so uh, keep in mind that these can be scaled according to ability level so a beginner would not be doing these workouts uh, a beginner would be doing something more scaled down maybe 60 percent of the work uh, so something like that so so here we go for the swim a good workout would be 10 times 200 meters at the pace that you could hold for 1000 meters straight and you would take 30 to 60 seconds of rest between intervals on the bike five times eight minutes at 95 to 100 percent of your threshold power with two to four minutes rest in between and on the run four times eight minutes at or just below your threshold pace with two times two to four minutes rest between between intervals so thank you sonde for a question i hope that this helps and that's it for today's q a keep sending in questions to michael at scientific and that's michael with a k and uh, please go and check out scientificdraflon.com and everything we have going on there. This includes training plans, coaching, very high touch, completely individualized, of course, uh, and the training camp that we're launching for next year for April 10th to 17th on Majorca. I hope I will see you there. Go and check out all the information on our website and uh, apply there to get in. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan and get 15% off your electrolyte products with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka, that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. Remember that their holiday sales are going on. If you are shopping for Christmas gifts for other triathletes in your life, then this is a perfect place to go, a perfect place to do some Christmas shopping. And you can get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.